Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Arda Ocal. Arda is well known throughout the gaming and esports space as a host and a broadcaster, and he has just recently realized his dream to become a host on ESPN. He's got an incredible story and a lot of insights in this episode. Let's talk to Arda. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right. uh, Welcome, Arda, to the DLC Drop Podcast. I'm excited to have you. Um, Ever since I saw you on a stage, I want to say at Esports Business Summit a couple of years ago, um, I've, I've been involved with, with some things in the esports space and, and see you do such an amazing job as a host and a broadcaster. And man, I, I see your LinkedIn updates all the time. I see <laughs> I am now the host for this. I'm the host for this. And when I think of people in the esports space who are trying to live their dream, you come to mind. And so I'm very thankful to have you join me today. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for that introduction. Uh, that was really kind of you to say all that. And yeah, LinkedIn, crazy, man. Uh, I tell a lot of people to get on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is like a good, I, I don't really put much thought into my posts. I'll be honest. I, I really just like bare bones, like, Hey, here's, here's this segment. I don't, I don't put any, like, it's not like a, a whole paragraph on Instagram where you're looking at a picture and then there's like, I don't know, a thousand words that go with it. Sure. Uh, with my LinkedIn posts, it's literally half a sentence or less. <laughs> it's just super fast. Like, hey, here's the segment I did. That's awesome. Man, I love LinkedIn. I, I'm posting on there just about every day. It's kind of part of my <laughs> content strategy for my business. And yeah. I remember when I was in college, I was like, man, LinkedIn is like Facebook trying to be cool. <laughs> and now... And now it's way better. It's I, I don't use Facebook. I Yeah, LinkedIn is... I, I suggest that for anyone getting into the... Especially esports. Like the thing with esports is that... A lot of Twitter, people on Twitter, their DMs are open, so it's like easy to access them. But sure. LinkedIn has some sneaky good contacts, especially for gaming. You'll find a lot of VPs there. And, and I highly recommend people to uh, comb LinkedIn, especially if, if people have premium accounts, yeah. uh, the, the, the gold logo. Mm-hmm. Definitely connect with those people if they have a gaming bio because they are there to network. So absolutely, you know, is it, I didn't know that this was turning into a networking podcast. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, all of a sudden, here we are. You kids out there, listen to us. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's too funny. Like, there's a lot of I talk to a lot of college kids, a lot of classrooms, and you know, one of the things I'm sharing is like, get on LinkedIn, and yeah. everybody's on Snap, everybody's on Instagram. But man, imagine a platform that had everybody either you wanted to do business with or would hope hires you. And that's LinkedIn. And I mean, it's funny, this is taking a little bit of a unique turn at the beginning of this episode, but absolutely get on LinkedIn, everybody who's listening. (laughs) This podcast sponsored by LinkedIn, we might as well, they might as well send you a check at this point. I agree. I I will accept checks uh, from anybody, in (laughs) fact, who feels like mailing them. That's John Davidson. Make Mm -hmm, it out to the DLC Drop podcast. So you are a host at ESPN. I've followed your career. You know, you've been a reporter with the Weather Network. You've uh, been involved as a host with the WWE. You've uh, been very involved with the NHL from from what I've gathered. And you've been very involved in esports. And the cool thing that I gained from 
our conversation before this podcast when we were talking from my perspective, I was like, wow, this guy went from being a gaming host to ESPN. And in your experience, being a gaming host is, sounds like it's been just as much living your dream as the ESPN aspect of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a lifelong gamer. Let, let me start there. Gaming has always been, video games have always been my primary hobby. So I love sports. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I grew up loving hockey. I grew up loving pro wrestling. I grew up loving combat sports, so boxing. And then when the, I, I'm old, I'm a boomer, spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the very first UFC, UFC one in the nineties. Oh, and uh, that Abbott? just like, yeah, dude. Like, well, yeah, even before then, like Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock and Chemo, uh, you know, carrying the cross to the ring and everything. It's just crazy stuff when it yeah. was like basically no rules, essentially, right? There were only yeah. like two or three rules. So yeah. like, did they fight until like you couldn't fight anymore? There was no basically. Time I mean, there was really like yeah, basically in those like there were there, there was like very very little rules as compared to today. Uh, it was yeah. a much different like the, the the whole story of the UFC for another day. But like it's like fascinating like how it it, it is fascinating how the UFC began. But anyhow, yeah. um, so I like I loved all of that growing up, and obviously like growing up in Canada, I watched the uh, Canadian version of Sports Center or Sports Desk, as it was called back in the day uh, on TSN. So like yeah, I loved sports, but video games were like my primary hobby. When there weren't sports on, I would play video games yeah. and come home from school, play video games. And I was a big Nintendo guy. And then from there, Sega Genesis, and then PC. I was a big PC gamer. I actually. Um, initially skipped the uh, 64 generation. I didn't have a Nintendo 64 Mm. until later in life because I was such a PC gamer. Uh, So I'd be playing a lot of PC games, you know, like Doom and and things like that, like just like, and and moving on from there, et cetera. So uh, yeah, like gaming has always been a part of my life. Um, Going to arcades, like you can even see the arcade machines in my back. Like that's like my nostalgia. That's my happy, right? So, uh, but like growing up at that time, if you wanted to work in video games, you would be working at the developers, right? There would right. like the, the ecosystem of competitive gaming didn't exist. The ecosystem of creating video game themed content also didn't exist at that time. That was a, that was not something that people thought of. And so yeah. my first esports event was actually pretty late in the game. My very first esports event was in 2016. Like hmm. the actual first time that I did an esports and what you would consider to be an esports event was actually my first ESPN gig. The very first thing I ever did, I know I'm jumping here, but the yeah. very first thing I did for ESPN was uh, do digital pre-shows, halftime, sh- halftime shows, mm-hmm. or in-between game shows and post-game shows for um, the League of Legends World Championship for Worlds. Uh, which was in the States at the time. In 2016, the semifinals were at MSG Mm -hmm. and the finals were at Staples Center in LA. And we did a digital desk and it was awesome. I I got hooked. Uh, I I didn't know much about League of Legends going into it. I treated it, I treated my prep like a job. I took a month and I I, I found out about a few weeks before that gig that I was going to get it. So I just prepared eight hours a day. I just basically learned everything I could about League of Legends because I never played it. Wow. And so, yeah. The rest is history. So when that opportunity came, when you know you're at Sports Center and people are talking like, "Hey, we're gonna do this broadcast with this gaming competition," sort of a thing, were you like, "Pick me, pick me," or did that kind of find you? So, so I wasn't I wasn't full time at ESPN at the time. That was at my first freelance gig, and I was trying to get my foot in the door. So obviously, wow. I was gonna say yes to anything. The, sure. the I initially reached out to ESPN. 
because they were launching a WWE vertical and I had just wrapped up at WWE. So I thought I could contribute there. And then the response came back, okay, let's do that. But also how uh, familiar are you with gaming? And that's how the phrasing was. And I said, I love video games. Of course, that's amazing. I would love to do this. And they said, well, would you like to host our digital desk for League of Legends? And I wasn't going to reply saying, no, I don't know much about League of Legends. I was, of course, going to, you got to say yes to everything. Yeah. So I had enough time that I could research and get myself familiar as quickly as possible. And I did. And luckily as a point guard, like when, as in my role as an anchor, I'm not the expert. I'm putting the experts in positions to succeed. And so I can prepare myself to the point where I feel comfortable enough to be able to do that. Mm. And so that's why I was comfortable in taking that role. I love that approach of, I haven't done this yet, but I know I can learn to do it. Is that something that you've always had, something your parents taught you? Where's that coming from in your life? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the advice that anyone would give you. Anyone who wants you to succeed in broadcasting and media particularly will say, listen, fake it till you make it, say yes to everything, prepare, really, you know, really put in the work. Yes. But also, you know, these opportunities may not, who's to say where my career would be right now if I said no to that opportunity? Because if I said no once, why would they come back to me and ask for more? And if I said no there, how much more difficult would my journey had been to get to ESPN? When ESPN came knocking, I wasn't going to say no to whatever they offered. And so that's why I ended up doing the, and, and it was twofold because not only was I getting uh, reps with ESPN. And actually that was the very first time I ever got on American sports center. Like I've hosted many since, but the first time I ever got on sports center was a two minute segment talking about the league of legends world championships. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine yeah. like people, you grow up a lifelong sports fan and the first subject matter that you're talking about on sports center, which is, <laughs> An American institution, right? Uh-huh. Like everyone knows what Sports Center is. Yeah. I'm talking esports, which is amazing. <laughs> like what a that's incredible. And like since then, like up until I hosted my first Sports Center in this year, earlier this year, every appearance that I had made on Sports Center was esports related. Yeah. So BlizzCon, Fortnite World Cup, more League of Legends content, Overwatch League Finals, anything was all esports related. Wow. And so just yeah. getting your foot in the door, being willing to be comfortable w- enough with saying, I'm going to take this leap. I'm going to do it. Boy, what was that like that first time that you were on SportsCenter? I can imagine, hey, mom, hey, dad, check this out. Hey, friends <laughs> I went to high school with and seeing yourself. I mean, what an, what an iconic brand. And, you know, the leader in sports. What was that like? Amazing. It was amazing. I mean, it's a, it's a bucket list. It's a lifelong dream. It's something you strive for. And the first time I was able to host sports center, which was May of this year, was one of the most gratifying. It just felt like the start of a new chapter in my life. And it made me feel like the journey was worth it. Right? Like I had put a lot of time into this industry, volunteering and putting in the hours and feeling like it was going nowhere but then getting some hope with, you know, some nugget of um, a break that comes my way and just the winding road, 
that many of us have. It's not just me. This is not a sob story. I promise you. Sure. I'm saying it's a, it's a, it, it, the journey is often more fulfilling than the destination. But yeah. I will say that that moment was really gratifying because I got an outpouring of support. Like I got text messages from people I hadn't talked to in years mm -hmm. and the response on social media was amazing. And I, I was very, very fortunate to, to receive all that. And I'm lucky that I'm able to host SportsCenter on a regular basis. And I'm lucky that I have a bunch of opportunities at ESPN, but I'm also lucky that I'm able to like through Sports Nation, which is another show that I'm involved with, mm -hmm. continue pitching gaming content yeah. because that's all that's still in here. You know, like I didn't like I, I, I still love gaming and right. I keep like even even like I'm lucky that ESPN allows me to do certain gigs that are gaming related that are outside the ESPN walls. For example, you know, I host a handful of Twitch Rivals events. Yeah. which is amazing. Like I have a blast doing them and I do that because I want to stay in gaming, not because I have to luckily knock on wood, but like I want to stay in the gaming bubble because it's fascinating to me and I enjoy it a lot. And it's, it's fun. Absolutely. You got to find ways to leverage your passion. And even if what you're doing isn't your entire passion or some of it is work, you know, they, they do pay you to show up for a reason to a job. <laughs> um, but anytime you can include that stuff, um, I think it helps us do a better job and enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. um, question for you. It sounds like you're becoming this advocate for gaming on the inside of a major uh, sports channel or, or platform. What do you see as the role uh, for gaming and esports in traditional sports versus, you know, our own channels like Twitch? So, I mean, I, I, I am one of many people that are gaming fans at ESPN. There are still many. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, I will liken it to the NHL. So, the NHL was away from ESPN for a very long time. 2004, before this year, was the last time that the NHL rights were at ESPN. Hmm. But that didn't mean that there weren't hockey fans in the building. I mean, I, last season, hosted In the Crease. I filled in on In the Crease which is usually hosted uh, by Linda Cohn, uh, who's a legend at ESPN. She's been there a very long time. She's hosted, what, in excess of 5,000 sports centers, like wow. just absolute legend in the industry. Uh, she's accomplished everything you can think of, uh, a Hall of Famer, and uh, it will be very, very involved in our hockey coverage, including hosting in the crease. And so that was one of the only things up until this season that ESPN was doing in the hockey space, right? Mm. But there were tons of hockey fans that would that were very happy to work on that show, including yeah. me. I, I I asked to do that to to work on that show because I loved hockey. I love hockey so much, and yeah. so you know, I mean, I'm I'm at the right place at the right time in in many ways because hockey is back on ESPN. But it's not like hockey fans are back at ESPN. Hockey fans were always at ESPN. There are mm. plenty of hockey fans at ESPN, myself included. And so, and, and I know because I have these conversations in the hallways at ESPN, uh, in the green rooms and in the studios. Like there are, there are a ton of hockey fans. And similarly with gaming, uh, there are a lot of gaming fans at ESPN. I always thought it was a fascinating conversation, just the idea of 
uh, gaming and, and, you know, linear television and, and mm-hmm. what, what its role is and how important it is. It's very similar to gaming in the Olympics. I know that like esports, there's always this conversation about esports should be at the Olympics and there's yeah. like two camps to it, right? Like the one camp is, oh, this would be a feather in esport in the esports industry's cap, and this would further validate esports and further bring it to the mainstream. But the other side of it is, does esports really need that validation? Maybe it's the right. Olympics that would benefit from the audience that esports would bring because esports has a much younger demographic that might be watching the Olympics or yes. watching on um on on certain networks or whatever the case may be. I, I feel like a symbiotic relationship could definitely work, mm-hmm. but I do think that esports is not. I don't think that it's it's necessarily this milestone that needs to be attained or achieved in order for the industry to continue to grow. It's like you know, I mean, it would right. be cool, obviously, but it's not like oh, if esports doesn't get to the Olympics, then the whole industry is shot. Like I don't right. see, I don't believe that at all. I, I agree. I, I'm kind of in the middle of those camps. I completely agree that as you look at uh, young people who are no longer participating or mm-hmm. viewing traditional sports or programmatic television the way that older generations did, uh, that the Olympics needs esports more than esports needs the Olympics. Now, on the other side, what I would say is part of the consumer behavior of the esports community is validation from the mainstream. Mm. And I think that'll be interesting to see in. As esports is becoming more embraced and the cool kids are doing it and the kids who do it are cool, I think it'll be interesting to see if that validation is still a desire of the community. But I think there's a lot of people, you know, our age, maybe a little younger, who grew up gaming, who, mm-hmm. you know, you're bullied or you're kind of made fun of or you're a closet mm-hmm. gamer, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're saying, oh, now you're accepting me. This is what I've wanted my whole life. Yeah. Where do you yeah, fall? Yeah, that's with that? a very good point. I I do in 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 hearing in talking about this, I will say this, there definitely seems to be shifts in the uh revenue for esports. Mm-hmm. I will say that one thing I'm noticing or one thing that has been pretty prevalent is the biggest esports organizations are really ones that are merchandise companies. Like I look sure. at FaZe Clan, for example, right? Like it's almost as if the esports, the competition is secondary to the content machine that is ultimately Absolutely. putting out all the merchandise and the limited drops and the creation, like the Supreme style creation and invention of demand, right? Yep. And that's important uh, in their business model to remain relevant, but also to push product, right? 100%. And I will say this. I remember in covering Worlds last year, mm-hmm. I had a conversation with Mark Merrill, who's one of the founders of Riot. Yeah. And he said in that interview that if not for the pandemic, League of Legends esports overall, I'm not talking about just the LPL in China or just the LCS in America mm-hmm. or just the LEC in Europe. I'm talking about all of League of Legends esports as an entire umbrella. For the first time, if not for the pandemic in 2020, the projections were that League of Legends esports would be entirely profitable. Wow. Now think about that, right? There, Obviously, the LPL has been profitable for a while, sure. and there are other regions that are doing well, but League of Legends is the biggest esport 
No one is disputing that. It is the, the highest level of esports that you can have in terms of interest, viewership, production value. I mean, Worlds is a whole event on itself. It's like, the, it's like a WrestleMania, yeah. you know? But when I heard that, it really sank in like, wow. Like, it's still in its, in its early stages. Like, it started in yeah. 2010. Like, it's still in its early stages. only 11 years old, so to speak. So, yeah. just crazy to think. Well, whenever I'm looking at the viability of esports, I, first of all, I'll say I 100% believe esports is the future of entertainment. Mm -hmm. However, what we need to remind ourselves of is I think this year is the 101st year of the NFL or 102nd. can't remember which year. Uh, Major League Baseball has been around forever. Football slash soccer, um, uh, depending on which side of the pond you you live in, um, has been around <laughs> for a long time. Basketball has been around for a super long time. League of Legends, the most successful global esport, eleven years. Eleven years. You're right. Exactly. And so so I think patience is a virtue here, and there'll be growing absolutely. pains, right? I mean, like, not every year you're going to get a Fortnite World Cup. I mean, we haven't had a, 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 an event of that magnitude that has permeated into the mainstream since yeah. the Fortnite World Cup, which was in. What was that, 2019? 2019, yeah, I want to say early 2019. Summer of 2019, yeah, basically. So, like, think about that, right? Like, that is, I mean, th there will be a regular cadence, yeah. and there will be ups and downs, and, I mean, there are still people, like, the, we're still very much in an education phase. There are still people out there that aren't dif uh, differentiating between an esports competitor and a content creator. Correct. They might think, for example, Tim the Tapman and Ninja are esports competitors. Now, exactly. Ninja is a unique case because he actually became, for a while, he was competing in Valorant, right? Like he actually gave it a go and was competing in top level competitions. But I mean, primarily he's a content creator. Primarily he's a streamer. Right. He's making his primary income in that way, right? Yeah. In fact, the most recent news, which happened right out here in Dallas, was that complexity signed Tim the Tapman. Yeah. So you would say, hey, an esports org signed a content creator. And that's a big thing. It's almost like, I really like viewing Envy's approach. Envy is a, another org that's out mm -hmm. here in the Dallas area. And so I'm mm -hmm. close to them. And I've loved seeing their shift to entertainment with the sisters who play chess. They're doing a lot of great uh, content. And it's almost like you have esports teams as just to justify that you are an esports org and then okay how do we make our money we need to do it with content creators because sponsorship revenue is still the number one source of revenue and mm -hmm. how am i going to get these sponsors how am i going to deliver on that i need content i need eyeballs i need those numbers that are going to justify a spend that are going to get people to sponsor me but also i need to figure out how to get an roi for that sponsor so they re-sign and that's what's yeah. been really really challenging i think is the monetization of teams and the world below the publisher i i remember the first uh overwatch league homestand the dallas homestand it was terrific yeah uh, it was like four thousand people 4500 um, for 4500 people yeah. is incredible uh, the, the vibe was great the presentation was terrific funny story yeah. you may remember the dallas stars mascot being there uh and i am I just want to say on the record right here, I am 100% responsible for that happening. Tell me how Overwatch that League, Overwatch League had no idea. And, and, he, and the Dallas Stars mascot ended up on the broadcast. That was the best part. 
And so actually, okay, I'll tell you a couple stories about it. So um, obviously I was connected with um, uh, NJ Devil, who is the mascot for the New Jersey Devils. And I told NJ that I was going to this event and uh, he goes, oh, why don't you... um, uh, do you, do you need any uh, connection with the stars? And I was like, actually, I would love to see if Victor could come to the event just to like hang out at our ESPN desk. It would be some fun content. Right. So I got connected with uh, the guy who plays Victor and uh, he happened to be free. And so he Wait. came down not too far for him, a drive. So he came down, put on the suit. And initially he was wearing his Dallas stars threads yeah. But there is a an esports OG pioneer by the name of Susie Kim. I'm sure a lot of people will know that name mm-hmm. uh, watching this. She's fantastic. She is a wonderful human being, but also uh, she's done a lot in esports. If you if the, the the minuscule amount of people who don't know who Susie Kim is, please look her up. Uh, she, her body of work speaks for itself. Uh, wonderful, wonderful human being, and has done a lot in esports. Yeah. So she, I told her about this. And she's like, well, why don't we get him a, a Dallas Fuel jersey? And I yeah. was like, is that even possible? Like, do they make Dallas Fuel jerseys that big? And she's like, I'll make it happen. So right. Susie works her magic as she normally does and gets this giant Dallas, uh, Dallas Fuel jersey that fits Victory Green's suit just perfectly. Amazing. And so... And, and, and now the funny thing is, is like, so now the Dallas Stars mascot is running around. So I bring uh, Victory up, Victory Green up to the owner's boxes and Hastro's there with his family. Yep. And I just like, I'm like, hey, Hastro, uh, I brought a, a guest and he's like, oh, awesome. So he's like taking pictures with his like, uh, with his uh, uh, child and his wife and everything. And then like people are like, you know, it's, it's almost like a celebrity visit. It was just really funny. But then we bring him onto the floor, the yeah. the mascot. And then that's when pandemonium, like the fans are like jumping. I was like, what is this happening here? Like, cause people are in cosplay and stuff, right? Like there's like right. Reinhardt's walking around and, yep. and, uh, and tracers running around, whatever. So like we got all of them together. And I remember Puckett helped with this. So Puckett was like doing a segment and then he saw me in the corner of his eye and he's like, I know what you're thinking. So he like brought together like 30 people and then we pushed, victory green in the middle and they were taking a picture and i'm like no pocket get in there and we're taking a picture this is when pocket was wearing his like whole like uh cowboy outfit right yeah so then yeah so then pocket looks at the victory he's like do you think we could use him for segments and i'm like heck yeah you can Uh, like he's not here we're not paying it like he's not on espn's time like he's here like we just use him for a segment or two and then so he ends up like getting the flag and like waving it and he's on the broadcast and they're using him in the races and stuff. And I'm like, this is terrific. Like wow. this, this worked out way better than I could have ever imagined. So I was very happy with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so perfect because if you think about that, <laughs> that was the first homestand for Overwatch League outside of Blizzard Arena. Yeah. And the Dallas Fuel, I was running GameStop's uh, activation at that event actually and we were a sponsor, a partner of Team Envy. And so you That's talk, awesome. Yeah, you talk about these um the cosplay. Our booth was right next to uh Frostbite cosplay. Yeah. And so we got people to take pictures in our booth with those cosplay characters. And then if you posted it and tagged a couple things, you know, you get a free Corsair headset, which is a sponsor of um of Envy. You get a behind the scenes tour with Hastro. We even actually, I had Jamie King on this podcast and we we're discussing, we got the Bud Knight 
to come. Yes, yes, and he, yes. He posed with Reinhardt, and on GameStop's Instagram, we did who would win in a fight, the Bud Knight or Reinhardt. It was like so we, epic. We, yeah, Bud Knight, Bud Knight, Victory Green on the ESPN desk. Like, yeah, my buddy Scott Debson works with Jamie uh, yeah. at, the, at the Engine Shop. Engine yeah, yeah, Shop. they uh, they do a great job. And they, <laughs> so, so random. I remember that. I was like, what a random collection of, like, cosplayers and, and people in suits. This is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And I, I think it, it was perfect with what you did because, you know, <laughs> what was Overwatch trying to do? Overwatch is trying to establish themselves to be similar to traditional sports leagues with geographically located teams mm-hmm. that host home stands. We see Bud Light, they're sponsoring it. We see them all over the NFL and stuff. Something I'm curious if, if you're aware of this, but the connection of Team Envy and the Dallas Stars is Jeff Moore, the present CEO of uh, Envy, was the first employee of the Dallas Stars. Didn't I know that? Worked there 18 years and became the SVP of marketing and sales. And yeah, he's, he has a great story where he, he got a job as an intern for the Dallas Sports Commission. And so he's working for Roger Staubach, Lamar Hunt, these just legends of sports here in Dallas. And uh, the Minnesota North Stars were selling their team. And for some reason, they it was really quick, whether there was something the owner had to like offload this team or whatever. So I guess they were able to get for pennies on the dollar. But yeah, they... they arranged everything to move the Minnesota North Stars down to Dallas to be the Dallas Stars. And Jeff, who told the story here on the podcast on another episode, shared mm-hmm. um, all the details of being employee number one and assistant to the president. And that's how wow. his career started. And now he's the president and CEO of Team Envy. I'm going to have to listen to that because that, I'm sure he's got some fascinating stories. Oh, That's crazy. Well, one thing that's on this topic that Jeff did share around the monetization and uh, where we are as an industry, he said, what we're trying to do at Envy is identify, let's say compared to the NFL, where are we in the growth phase? Are we the equivalent of the 64 Cowboys, the 72 Cowboys, what have you? And then we need to identify where we want to be and hope to be 20 years from now. And then we need to take the strategic steps to get there because you won't just get there based on time itself. And then the last thing is we have to do that without running out of money first. And I was like, whoa, that's some pressure. <laughs> that's also some very honest assessment. Got to yeah. do it without the money running out. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So interesting. Well, I want to dig back into this um, this career of yours. Mm-hmm. Speaking of careers, were there uh, times, opportunities, forks in the road that looking back, you recognize that was one of the things that enabled you to become a, a host on ESPN. Oh yeah, there, there's been many forks on the road. There's been many decisions. There's been many looking in the mirror. Am I fit to do this? When I was 27, I, I decided, I, I, I actually went to school for mathematics. I don't have a degree in journalism or anything like that. Um, I hit the ground running. Instead of partying on nights and weekends, I spent my time at the local public public access TV station, learning everything I could wow. and helping them out by driving their community cruiser van. And then eventually, <laughs> yeah, like just very menial things, but I just wanted to be there. And what yeah. I realized was I really had a passion for it and I cared about it. But in the meantime, I had a desk job because I knew that I wasn't going to be making money doing that. So I had to make money somehow. 
so I used, I put my degree to use and I became a project manager for a few years. I just didn't like it. It just was not at the time. So when I was 27, I had enough money saved that I thought, okay, I can give this a go. I'm going to give myself till I'm 30. I will live pretty bare bones. I don't need anything lavish. I just want to survive. Yeah. And if by the time I'm 30 years old, I am not any better off or I'm not in a position that I could really sustain myself or I could really see uh, a, a, a fruitful career ahead of me, then I'll just go back to being a project manager or, or, or find a desk job. Hmm. And I'll at least have been able to say that I tried and failed. Whatever. People fail. It's totally fine. I've failed many right. times in my life. So Same. luckily, yeah, luckily things uh, snowballed and, uh, you know, certain combination of preparation and hard work and luck. Yeah. Uh, things have happened. I mean, I remember one time I had a decision to make on whether I would take a job in Winnipeg, Manitoba at a regional channel, making decent money or at the time anyway. Sure. Uh, but, and it was in a, in a small mar like small market, meaning like I was doing a community work or do I go and volunteer at a Sirius XM station in Toronto that was connected to one of the national Canadian sports channels. Mm. And I chose doing that for zero money because I felt like the upside was higher. And I look back on that decision, for example, and thought if I had taken that job in Winnipeg, I wonder if I would have even made it outside of Winnipeg uh, and, and what wow. my life would have looked like. I'm not disparaging Winnipeg. I'm just saying in terms of media career decisions, the one that I made uh, ended up being more fruitful for me. So yeah, yeah. things like that have, have popped up all the time. That's really interesting. You're, you're thinking long-term rather than short-term. And uh, one of the things I've heard uh, that I always try to think about is people who win think long-term. If you think about somebody who's uh, probably synonymous with winning is Jeff Bezos. And mm. he's uh, very well known for always thinking the long game. In fact, I remember seeing an interview with him and they said, uh, hey, you had a great quarter and everybody's congratulating for this record-breaking quarter, all these things. And he said, yeah, I, I appreciate you know hearing that but the truth is, you know, we, this was baked three years ago and we were very, you know, we did a lot of work and we were very confident that this was going to be a good quarter. But what I'm working on right now is the quarter three years from now. Yeah. And so I love the long-term thinking aspect. The other thing, I one thing on Bezos is didn't he just tweet about how like, like uh, new world is this smash hit from Amazon game studios. And he's like, well, these articles are eight months apart and the article eight months ago was how crucible was such a disaster mm. right like right. like it's almost like a dichotomy it's like amazon game studios can't get a hit or i think that was what the what the article was and crucible wow. was like the shining example of how amazon game studios is not getting it right and now they have one of the hottest pc games out there right now as right. we record this so it's like just to your point about uh, Jeff Bezos and looking long term and 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 moving pieces and 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 learning from mistakes. That's another big thing, right? Big time. Well, I'll, another thing that's significant about Amazon with gaming is that they own Twitch, of course. Yes. And yes. when I was head of partnerships at GameStop, I never did a deal with Twitch. Why? I couldn't get a purchase outside of the Amazon ecosystem because they built this amazing ecosystem where you go from watching something to clicking on a button and with your uh, prime membership, you'll get that in two mm -hmm. days, right? And so it's just, wow, the Python that constricts everything of Amazon. It's funny, it's funny like I, I use this example to describe that all the time. 
So Street Fighter Two, one of my favorite games. I have the cons or the uh, machine here. So yeah. you go from Street Fighter Two Champion Edition or even the original one, the World Warrior, yep. to Street Fighter Two Hyper Fighting. Right. Right. How how that jump was made was in and around the Street Fighter Two Champion Edition time, people were modifying arcade cabinets to make the game different. So there was a, a modified one, a famous one called Street Fighter II Rainbow Edition, okay. where you could throw like 50 Hadoukens at the same time on screen. Like they really modded the, the game. Wow, yeah. And one of the things that they did in a, in a certain mod was they sped up the game. And as the story goes, Capcom found these modded games in different arcades or convenience stores, whatever, bodegas across the country. But they realized that the sped up version of the game vastly improved on the actual game. So then they created Street Fighter 2 Hyper Fighting, which is a sped up version of Street Fighter. And if you play Hyper Fighting, the other game seems like so archaic. It right. seems like it was made years ago and you just can't go back to it. It's so good that it, it the improvement is so good that you can't go back to what you were playing before. And, and that's, to your point, Amazon introducing two-day Prime and making it so easy, is it's so difficult for people to, to, to snap out of that because it's extremely convenient for them, right? Right. So every time I hear an example like that, I think of the Street Fighter 2 hyper fighting example no that, that's a perfect example i want to go back to your 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 uh your volunteering so whenever people ask me john how do you get in the esports space i always say volunteer and there's a couple different reasons uh number one and this is for people who are like in their careers and are looking to make a change but also for young young people as well and it comes down to experience and building relationships there's no substitute for experience and people hire who they hire their friends that's why there's laws against hiring your friends is because people do it and guess what spoiler alert they do it anyway they just find ways around it but it sounds like this was a very strategic thing from you or at least very significant in your life that based on getting your foot in the door saying look my labor may not be worth a lot because I don't know a lot yet but I'm interested to get to know a lot, develop, and then I'll be worth mm -hmm. something. Talk a little bit more about your your thoughts behind that. Yeah. So volunteering meaning like I'm going to a station and I'm don't I'm like working for free in exchange for learning or building respect and yeah. trust. A hundred percent. I would advocate for that, especially early on in your career. The yeah. only thing I would be mindful of is don't do it too long because right. people get used to that rate. Like when people are trying to think of what they are worth, if mm. you make yourself, if you give your services for free too long, then people will start to get used to it and they will see you as a cheaper commodity than others that are out there that are off, that are uh, charging some sort of uh, rate or whatever it is. Now, when you're starting off in your career and you want to build relationships and you want to go the extra mile to earn trust with, with the right people, even whether they hire you one day or they're a reference to you, invaluable. And there are plenty of esports and gaming events, and there are plenty of esports and gaming people that are like mid tier or higher that are content creators that are looking for people to help with their social media, help yeah. with creating their content, help with creative ideas. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of those kind of opportunities that exist. You can go to 
a, a mid-tier uh, content creator and say, hey, let me work for free for six months. Let me just create your stuff. And then at the end of six months, we'll just determine there whether there might be a budget for me or you know what? I got the experience. You can be a reference to me and we'll go our separate ways or we'll continue on. Like there are many ways to, 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 to deal with this. It's never been easier, honestly. John, right. it's never been easier because there's so many out there that are trying it out and there are so many people in which you can knock on doors. I, I completely agree and I love the point that you made about not devaluing yourself and understanding how to take that leap to then become a paid person. How can people avoid getting into, nobody wants to pay me because I've just been doing it for free and that's what they expect from me now. I, I'm very upfront. I would say be very upfront. Like even when you're talking to people now, I know I'm young, I know I need experience. Could I work for free for a limited time? I like the idea of setting a boundary. Mm. Like if you're going into a contract or a scenario where you're saying, I would be comfortable working for free for three months. I would be comfortable working for free for one month, for two weeks, for six months, whatever the amount of time is, I can't give you that answer. You will know that answer when you're talking with somebody, right? Sure. And you go to a content creator, you go to a company and say, I would like to work for free um, because here's the value that I'm receiving. I'm looking for connections. I'm looking for references. I'm looking for whatever the case may be. And that also allows you to put an expiry date on the amount of time you're working for free because there then the exactly right the the that term plus one day then you can go back to the same people and you can feel comfortable and saying okay here's my i've given you the proof of concept might there be an opportunity for me to join as a paid employee or even as a part-timer whatever the case may be sometimes the answer will be no sometimes they'll say yeah. we don't have the budget sometimes they'll say we have a full-time job and we'd like to offer it to you and you may not even ask for it because you've proven yourself like or something in between so I'm a big advocate for setting those boundaries. I'm not, a, I, I, I don't think anyone should be afraid to put in that work, but I also feel like they should envision the length of time that they would be comfortable working for free. Also, so they don't feel like they're being taken advantage of. That's another reason why. Well, that's a great point. And you know, you can have a mismatch of expectations. I believe that communication solves uh, 95% of all issues. And so when you, when you set that number one, you're going to avoid kind of secretly being like, Oh, I'm getting taken advantage of the other person doesn't know you feel that way. They're just taking you up on your offer. Something to uh, Barbara Corcoran from shark tank, uh, mm -hmm. shared this about getting a raise. She said, the best way to get a raise is you go into your boss and you say, what would it take for me to get a raise? and you agree on these things that you would achieve, and then what do you do? You go achieve them, right? And then what? You, and then you come back whenever you've achieved those things, and you said, hey, remember when we had that meeting six months ago, and you said, if I do X, Y, Z, here's X, Y, Z, is this a good time you know, to implement this race? And I love that. It sounds like based on what you're saying, you can apply that same thinking to, hey, if if I do this for you, um, and I accomplish these things, what would it take for you to pay me? Exactly. And, uh, side note, Barbara Corcoran, very great TikTok follow. Just want to yeah. put that out there. Great follow on TikTok. Put some fun content out there. Also inspiring, so I highly recommend it. Man, she's got one of the, what would she have, like 121 jobs or something crazy? She's like... <laughs> uh, um, uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. She's got Shark Tank is one of my favorite shows, by the way. It is outstanding. I wish... 
I'm one of those fans, though, that I wish I could see the entire... Like, I know they cut it down to a third of the time you spend there. Yeah. I love hearing the behind-the-scenes stories. So I've actually met love a couple it. of people in gaming that have uh, been on Shark Tank. Oh. So they tell me about how, like... Yeah, one guy... Um, Cre I met him at a retro gaming expo. He created digital pinball machines. I like this one. This this pinball machine here is actually a digital uh, um, uh, surface. It's not an actual pinball machine. It's it's a video screen, but yeah. it, it plays like a pinball machine. So this guy created something like that, and he uh, he basically went on Shark Tank and pitched it. I don't think he did a deal, but he said his sales like skyrocketed still from being on the show. Oh yeah! In fact, one of the things I've had um, I've had a company called Moves Footwear who got a deal with Damon John on the Shark Tank. Um, one of my good friends is Abe Mankara. He used to manage all of Mark Cuban's Shark Tank companies for wow. him. And then oh I'll, wow! I'll tell you the greatest story of all time with Shark Tank and esports connected. But one of the things that these these uh, companies have to do they have to make sure that their website can handle the inbound attention. Uh, because Smart. yeah, just being on the show, whether you get an investment or not, goes through the roof. And in fact, when, one of the things they try to weed out are people who come on the show who don't actually want an investment. They're just <laughs> trying to do the shark tank bump and not give away any of their company. And then they do that. So that's like, Oh, good. that's smart. Yeah. I guess a lot of people will try to uh, gamify that system, right? They're like, Oh, I don't want it. Like I'll go through the drawn thing. Ah, man, could you do this or no? Okay. I'm out. Ah, exactly. Smart. So, mm. um, this amazing Shark Tank story, I think you'll really appreciate this. Do okay, you know, please. Do you know Anthony Morocco? The name rings a bell, but remind me. So, he led um, NBA 2K League team for the Mavs, and then he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers, oh, and then he got okay. into, he was with the Seattle Surge for a while. Okay. He got out of the space. I think he's... Exactly. Actually, I don't know him. Okay, never mind. So he is a great guy. He's one of my good friends. And I met him when I was at GameStop when the NBA 2K, 2K League started. And, you know, I'm making connections with all these people. And so, you know, me and Anthony became best buds. Well, the way he got that job, his friend, his friend's dad either like produces Shark Tank or has some very high level position at Shark Tank. And so... Anthony and his friend, their jobs as, you know, sons of like the big dogs was to drive the carts that picked up the sharks and brought him to the studio from the parking lot. Well, guess who Anthony was assigned to? He was assigned to Mark Cuban. So when NBA 2K League was announced, uh, well, it turns out Anthony, he used to uh, play World of Warcraft and he would level up characters and then sell them off for like five grand like that was like ooh, don't tell blizzard nope don't tell blizzard we're gonna cut that out <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying just don't tell blizzard because blizzard's gonna come after him i'm kidding i don't know uh it, it was it was while uh yeah, while yeah we can't prove this is all speculation all we're speculation. just talking i heard it from a guy <laughs> through another guy um so definitely he didn't do so that anyway in fact, one of the things I shared with Anthony, I was like, why don't you do that anymore? He said, because you know what that life is? It's just playing games for 14 hours a day by yourself and then like with no human interaction. Oh, yeah. It's, one day you yeah. open your eyes, you're like, what am I doing with my life? Back to the story. So NBA 2K League is announced and Anthony says to Mark as he picks him up one day, Mark, I'm the guy who should lead 
your Mavs NBA 2K League team. I play World of Warcraft. I do this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Cuban says, why don't you give me a one-pager on what you would do if you were in charge of this company? Comes back like the next day with eight pages of like <laughs> crazy detailed and Cuban's like, you got the job. You're my guy. Exactly. Yeah. He probably didn't even need to read it. He was probably like, I'm impressed by the fact that you put this much effort into it. So I'm going to, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's one that's of my, a great story. It's one of my favorite. See, I stories. love the I love the risk taking. I love the like you got chutzpah, right? Like you have the guts to just take that risk. And, and that's the other thing. Like so many people don't want to take that risk when right. the opportunity is presented. They don't want to take the risk because they fear the failure. They don't want to hear no. Well, that's the worst that can happen, though. Here's here's a good tip for everyone on how to manage that. Yeah. Just envision the worst case scenario and how you would react to it. Like have mm -hmm. a response to the worst case scenario. So if, if, if I was Anthony, for example, and going into that and I'm like, okay, worst case scenario is Mark Cuban says no and laughs in my face. And you're Let's fired. Say, don't talk to the talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk to the talent. Don't talk to the talent. What yeah. would my response be to that? Because if I know what my response is, then at least I will be more comfortable if it happened, right? And it wouldn't, I wouldn't fear the unknown anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. So like- yeah, so like you feel more more confident because you're more prepared. Mm. I love that. That's good on Anthony. That's awesome. Yeah, there's you know there's something that I realized too. Um, I never thought I'd have my own business, which I started during COVID. I think one thing COVID taught people is we're capable of a lot more uh, when we have to, right? And so I, I worked with a coach, long story short, I started my own business and that resulted in me starting this podcast and, you know, seeing what I can do with this podcast as well. Well, I was always afraid of failure. And one thing that has opened my eyes over the last year is failure is not a zero sum game. When you try and you fail, you're not worse off than you were before you tried. In fact, you're better off because why? You've met people you wouldn't have met before. You've, you're in situations you wouldn't have met before. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to make a bunch of money or even a sustainable money with my company. It could be my company fails and I go and do something else. But I will be influenced and educated based on that experience that will make me better in what I do in the next chapter. Yeah. So interesting. You're right. No, absolutely. I, I, I hope, man, this has been a very inspiring podcast. We are, we are throwing out nuggets of information here. We, we need to take dime. this. We need to take this to gaming and esports conventions across the country. That's what Let's we need do to it. do. Are, That's are what you needs agreeing to, happen. to that right now here live? Let's on the just DLC do it. Podcast? Let's go. That's what's going to, we will, the next time we have these kind of conversations is going to be on stage and there's yes. going to be 325 people in an audience. No, no, 328 people in an audience. Let's make it more realistic. And we're going to get exactly 23 questions from the audience after we conclude. Exactly 23. We'll have it in our writer. Is there anything <laughs> weird that you need in the writer? Like, do you need like only blue M&Ms? You know, do no. you need roses, uh, <laughs> 14 roses in the green room? Anything no. like that? I, I, I don't, I, I've never had a writer in my life. I, I, I've, I've seen writers. I've seen, That's my so next like, question. I, I have seen writers because I actually, in university, uh, nah, and you know that I'm Canadian calling it university. Um, I went to the University of Waterloo, which is about an hour away from Toronto. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, um, 
It was a great school. I enjoyed it a lot. Waterloo is definitely a college town. Yeah. And I made friends with the concert promoters on campus. So like the campus uh, nightclub and also the, the pub, they'd bring in acts. So mm. like I would see the requests that uh, people would ask for. So like, you know, oh, I need a certain number of water bottles in my room, you know, like standard stuff. And sure. I can't be here past this time or whatever. But some of them had like, oh, I need a rotisserie chicken in the corner of the room or something like that. You know what I mean? Like just random requests or like I need um, one of one one band had like I we need uh, a hummus spread with exactly 12 uh, pitas. Amazing. <laughs> You know what okay. I heard about writers, which makes sense to me, because I, you know, it, it's a commonly known thing of like how ridiculous these things can get, right? It's like Michael Jackson needed like a unicorn or something in his room. I, I don't know, sure. you know, but the point or maybe where it started is these things, these specific ridiculous requests show that you read it. Yeah. And so like, it's, it's almost as if like, if you, yeah, exactly. That you were willing to put the effort in. Like some people have like, I, I forget who it is. I mean, it might be a comedian has like, I, I want an eighties plastic wrestling action figure in my locker room. Yeah. Like, you know, those like LJN, like the, the really tall, like the Hulk Hogan one or the macho man ones. And the, the one, one in the locker room or one in the dressing room. I wonder if there's a business to be had to be just like source like random crap uh, yeah. and you target the entertainment industry and all of these studios or these venues who host, you know, entertainers. And it's like, Hey, we're your one-stop shop for ponies. And, or, or, or at least we have a pony person and we have <laughs> a, uh, sorted M and M's person and we have a, yeah, exactly. I love That's that. Smart. Smart. Well, man, we are right about at this one hour mark with our podcast. So I want to give you an opportunity to share, you know, through this conversation. Is there something that, man, you really want this audience to take one thing away um, after they've listened to this discussion? Yeah, this has been a lot of fun, by the way. We should definitely do this again. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Uh, What should people, I mean, we've been giving away a lot of good nuggets of information, like definitely feel inspired and motivated after this. Uh, The other thing that the, the other thing that I, we haven't talked about, but like it just goes without saying is just be a good human. Like Mm. people want to work with good, like you said how like, but before it's like people want to work with their friends. More generally, people want to work with people that are good and people that are nice people. Like you don't want to work with jerks. You just don't like, you don't want jerks to bring a toxic work environment. So be fun to work with, be good to work with, uh, be a nice human, put, put kindness first. And that's going to take you a long way. It sounds like logical and it sounds routine. It sounds like, yeah, I already know that silly. Like I get that. But at the same time, you'd be surprised at how many people don't follow that edict, you know? So definitely keep that in mind every single day, like strive to be good every day. Mm, strive to be good every day and that's something that everyone can do it doesn't matter what your background is what your experience is what you're doing what you hope to do everybody can put other people first and be a good human to be around i think that's that's great advice yeah good vibes so how can we get people to follow you what are you know what are the important things what are the handles uh Mm -hmm. what time are you hosting sports center for us to tune in 
Uh, the next time, I mean, I guess um, you could probably find me pretty regularly for the fall uh, on Saturday mornings, uh, basically 9 a.m. Eastern on e ESPN2. I do uh, that sports center and then I fill in every now and then. So it's not really a set schedule. Like I'll be on a night sports center sometimes or another morning sports center. Sure. Um, Twitter, you find me at ARDA at Arda and on Instagram at Arda O'Kell. And I host sports center Snapchat probably two to four times a week. So you'd probably see me there uh, wearing t-shirts like this. I actually literally wore this on today's I, I, Ted Lasso. Pardon me, I don't know where. Yeah, exactly. Ted Lasso shout out. Uh, and uh, I got to stop. That's the one thing I need to stop doing. Oh, here's my last piece of advice. Okay, here we go. Don't be a marketer's dream, people, okay? <laughs> Don't see stuff on television and buy it just because you saw it on TV like me. Because I'm an idiot. I spend way too much money on graphic t-shirts because I just happen to see them. I would buy the Squid Game zip-up if I could. I mean, oh like, I God. just, like, yeah. everything I see on, on uh, anything I watch, I have to own. Uh, and that is a terrible habit, people. Do not do that. <laughs> I think what you're saying is do what you say, not what you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is not, I don't need a poutine shirt. I don't need this shirt. I don't know if that's true. I, I feel it. like you do need that shirt. <laughs> Probably. That's you're a good, fair, fair point. <laughs> Awesome. Well, man, this has been one of my favorite discussions. I so appreciate your time. Um, I know that the audience is going to get so much out of all that you shared. So Ardo Cal, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. John, I have to come back, man. This was a lot of fun. We'll do a part two soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.